My talk is about uh, nature in Dogen's philosophy and teaching. And before I start, if you find that my, my voice has become inaudible, please let me know. Enlightenment is like the moon reflected on the water. The moon does not get wet, nor is the water broken. Although its light is wide and great, the moon is reflected even in a puddle an inch wide. The whole moon and the entire sky are reflected in dewdrops on the grass or even in one drop of water. This fascicle, taken from A. H. Dogen's Genjo Cohen, is a magnificent example of the way he writes with nature, not only to express and teach his own experience of the way, but to express the teachings inherent in nature. He saw nature as teacher of the Buddha Dharma and expressed this in his poetry and writings. The moon, stars, mountains, rivers, ocean, and peach blossoms are among the natural phenomena that abound in his literature. And there was no separation from him from these natural phenomena. One academic reviewer talks about Dogen's living insight. And for me, the term captures this 13th century Zen master's extraordinary skillfulness in weaving his practice insights into his writing through live experience in nature and the very aliveness of nature itself as a teacher. Dogen wrote prolifically, and his thinking and writing were instrumental in the founding of the Soto Zen sect. The references to nature in his literature were also influenced culturally, where images of nature, including the moon, the stars, mountains, and the ocean, recurred in Japanese literature at that time. Zen Buddhist practice is founded on live experience. Beyond the sutras and koan practice and other written teachings, the most important learning takes place on a cushion and sitting and sitting and extended sitting, often in wild natural places. We have all experienced intimacy with nature through many hours of practice, especially here in St. Paul's, where the sound of the cicadas in the summer ricochet right through. And at home or on session in the country, we become intimate with bird call, the rain and the wind, the sun, the stars, and the moon. It is this growing intimacy through Zen practice that has fed my increasing love with nature. You will have gathered from the environmental activities I engage in with Zigwa and other groups that I have developed a deep respect for nature and a sense of how utterly alive and essential it is 
I have realized that everything, every insect, tree, bush, reptile, animal, has a high level of intelligence within its own domain. Except perhaps human intelligence in that we appear to be on a path to self-destruction unless we can radically change our way of living. So, studying Dogen has been rewarding for me. He can be viewed as a radical in the Buddhist world in that he overturned the traditional view of separation between sentient and insentient beings in his teaching. His writings posed a revolution to the traditional Buddhist theory that Buddha nature was only possessed by sentient beings. Dogen, however, sees Buddha nature as all existence, everything from a particle of sand to a mountain to rivers and trees, animals and humans. He believed that all existence, where all existence subsumes the label sentient and insentient beings, was vibrant with Buddha nature, that extraordinary intelligence, vast and unknown, that we cannot envisage or describe. I dream that if Dogen was alive today and here in WA, he would be joining our Zigwa action sits and land care events or planting trees, rescuing animals and clearing rivers. He would surely have been dismayed by the way that humans are destroying the natural world, destroying themselves. However, in his lifetime, he was not an activist or ecologist. His overriding concern was transmission of the Dharma. In this talk, I'm going to look briefly at Dogen's earlier life history and how this is likely to have influenced his inclusion of nature in his writings. And then I'll look in brief at some of his poetry and writings before focusing more extensively on a particular fascicle in the Genjo Koen, where nature, in the form of the ocean, provides, for me, a salutary lesson about the cardinal Zen teaching emphasis on not knowing and thereby not discriminating or judging. Dogen was born in Japan in 1200 near Kyoto. He faced many challenges in his early life, including the refusal of the clan into which he was born to accept him as legitimate. His father died when he was two years old and his mother died when he was seven. And he was initiated into training in Japan as a Tendai Mahayana Buddhist monk at the age of 13, and was ordained when he was 17. He considered Japanese Buddhism at that time to be corrupt and influenced by secular power struggles. And at the age of 23, he left for China with his teacher, Suzhou Myozen, to study Chan Buddhism, an important precursor to Japanese Zen Buddhism. Their voyage to China by sea was prompted by a wish to discover genuine Buddha Dharma. And in the, in the 13th century, to sail to China involved a dangerous and long journey out at sea. 
Dogen's voyage to China with his teacher took him out into boundless ocean for many days and was a salient experience for him, one which he wove into his teaching, including Genjo Cohen, as you will hear a little later. He returned to Japan aged 36 and established his own Soto Zen school, engaging in writing influenced by what he had seen in China. And some years after returning to Japan, he lived and taught in his monastic retreat, Eheiji, which was near mountains and waters. His mountains and waters sutra followed four years later. Dogen loved the mountains, however his relationship to them was not a naive veneration or exaltation of nature. He considered this a defiled view of nature that was enslaving. As I described earlier, he did not see insentient beings in the traditional way as being excluded from Buddha nature. Dogen said that so-called insentient beings such as trees, rivers, and streams express drama, not in human languages, but through their own expressions. And he believed that non-sentient beings may not communicate in the same way as sentient beings, but they possess the ability to give voice to the Buddha way. He rejected any sense of a hierarchy of beings, and he saw Buddha nature as a temporal flow of reality from which nothing was excluded. It is significant that this teaching is supported today by research in the natural sciences, which has discovered the fine intelligence of a nature completely alive and sentient. For instance, trees communicate with each other through fungal networks, and these networks can share resources both with related trees, but also with trees of different species in the same tree community. And trees also use fungal networks to warn their neighbors about impending attacks from pests. So, returning to the Mountains and Water Sutra, the very first line of it, mountains and waters right now are the actualization of the ancient Buddha way. And this expresses Dogen's firm statement that mountains and waters right now, right in this present moment, are Buddha nature itself. He's also saying that they are sutras in themselves, expressing teachings about the Buddha way that mountains and rivers are right now expressing the way everything really is. In fact, everything right now, here tonight, is the actualization of the Buddha way. As well as his longer treatises, Dogen wrote many waka, that's W-A-K-A, which are a traditional short form of Japanese poetry resembling a haiku. And in this poem, Japanese cicadas teach impermanence. Deep in a mountain, both on the peak and in the valley, raising large voices, Higurashi cicadas are chirping. This day is already coming to end.
Higarashi is a kind of cicada spread all over Japan. It chirps in the evening and in the early morning. And the Japanese word higarashi means the day closes. Cicada is representative of a short life. It stays underground for some years as a nymph, but when it matures and emerges in the air, it lives one week or less. It sings wholeheartedly while it can, without wasting time. Just as the cicadas sing in summer around our St. Paul's dojo, teaching us, perhaps, to live mindfully and attentively each day without wasting time. I wonder what the cicada song suggests to you. Water birds going and coming. Their traces disappear, but they never forget their path. There is nothing to hold on to here. Impermanence as the water birds come and go, leaving no trace, arising and falling each moment. And yet they never forget their home, their path, the way. And Dogen's experience of no separation is vividly expressed by the rain in this waka, which may remind you of many times listening to the rain pouring, pounding down on the roof in the dojo here or in the country on Seshin. As I listened, I became the sound of rain on the eaves. You will notice in these three poems that Dogen entirely captures a moment in time taken from his life experience. He cannot be understood aside from his apparent sense of wonder as he practiced in the world of nature amongst mountains and rivers. As I indicated at the beginning of this talk, I'm going to turn now to focus on Dogen's inclusion of nature in the Genjo poem. I'm looking specifically at Fascicle 9, where he writes about the ocean as teacher. Genjo Koen was written in Japan some seven years after Dogen returned from China. And Genjo Koen means the Koen of our life. That is to say, the Koen of this present arising moment. Every moment that presents is Genjo Koen. Gen means to appear or show up, to be in the present moment. And Jo means to become, to complete, to accomplish. Genjo as a verb means to manifest or actualize, where something that was potential becomes actual in this present moment of time. Ko means public and an means record. So we have a public record or document. I'll read the fascicle first and then offer an interpretation. And I emphasize the word interpretation of what Dogen sought to convey in each part of it. 
When Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. When Dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. For example, when you sail out in a boat to the middle of an ocean where no land is in sight and view the four directions, the ocean looks circular and does not look any other way. But the ocean is neither round nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as you can see at that time. All things are like this. Though there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. In order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there. It is so, not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. Shohaku Okamura, a Japanese Soto Zen priest, now in his 70s, has written extensively about Dogen's teachings, including the Genjo Koen, and he believes the analogy of the ocean in this fascicle was influenced by Dogen's experience when he sailed to China in, in, with his teacher, as, as I mentioned earlier. On this voyage, he spent many days on a boat with nothing in sight, except the horizon of the ocean and the vast sky. When we sail inland, we see many things like villages, people, and trees on the coast. However, once we sail out into the vast ocean, we only see the ocean and the horizon looks like a circle touching the sky. Dogen aligns this experience out in the boundless ocean with viewing oneness or, or unity as real, being realization. When Dharma does not fill your whole body and mind, you think it is already sufficient. Dogen is saying, when Dharma does not fully penetrate your body and mind, you may think that seeing unity or oneness is enlightenment or realization. When Dharma fills your body and mind, you understand that something is missing. So then when Dharma fills your body and mind, you see how incomplete your practice is, how subtle and complex it is, and that true realization goes far beyond seeing the unity of things. We realize then that we must inquire endlessly into reality into the nature of all things on a journey through vast and infinite territory. For example, when you sail out in a boat in the middle of an ocean where no land is in sight and view the four directions, the ocean looks circular and does not look any other way. 
but the ocean is neither run nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as you can see at that time. All things are like this. So Dogen is saying the ocean is not circular as we perceive it. It is in fact infinitely varied in its depths and shallows and the shapes of submerged land beneath its waters and its irregular coastlines. As Dogen writes, its features are infinite in variety. So the oneness of the circular horizon is, is thus a construct created in our mind. What we see is limited. We can never see the entirety of reality as it truly is. And this teaching, for me, is fundamental to the emphasis on not knowing in, in Zen Buddhist Dharma. As finite and limited human beings, we are capable of creating a, a mental image of what we think is reality. But this is only a construct or mental representation of the world we create in our minds. When we see that our views of oneness or our discriminating views are mental constructs and realize how deluded we are, we move to the wisdom of seeing the actual reality of our life. When Dogen wrote, it is like a palace, it is like a jewel, he is referring to the writings of S. Babava, an Indian Buddhist teacher who lived in the 5th and 6th century. As Babava taught that the fish sees water as a palace and the celestial being sees water as a jewel and humans see water as water. How we see water depends on our conditioning and our karmic conditions. And here he continues, it only looks circular as far as you can see at that time. All things are like this. And Dogen is questioning the fixed independent existence of self-nature or anything. There is no objective true reality of water. And he continues, though there are many features in the dusty world and the world beyond conditions, you see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. In order to learn the nature of the myriad things, you must know that although they may look round or square, the other features of oceans and mountains are infinite in variety. Whole worlds are there, it is so not only around you, but also directly beneath your feet or in a drop of water. The dusty world refers to the secular world and the world beyond refers to the world of Dharma and they correspond to relative and ultimate or absolute truth. Dogen says we must see reality from both points of view and neither is superior. 
We should not try to escape the dusty world, nor try to reside in absolute reality. Our bodhisattva practice takes place within the world of desire, of comparisons with others, of picking and choosing, and of eating and sleeping and sweeping the paths. In our daily lives, we find ourselves in many different situations and we interpret, interpret each situation and experience according to our individual karma, karmic conditions. Dogen urges us to see reality with fresh eyes, just as it is right now, without grasping fixed ideas or coloring what is happening now with previous experience. I hope to remember this the next time someone is critical or abrupt with me and to think just these words rather than feel offended and decide this person is rude. You see and understand only what your eye of practice can reach. Dogen's teaching here is really helpful for practice in life. I remember my early days as a somewhat rebellious Zen student when I had all sorts of views in the Sangha about other people, how they did behave, how they are behaving, and how they should behave in the future. And I often focused on the faults of others. So Dogen's teaching and the teaching of the ocean tells me that I don't know about the motives or values underpinning other people's behavior. As my practice continues, I find myself, when not expressing my opinion or judging at every turn, more at ease. Dogen in the ocean shows us that so much is going on beyond our immediate view. And as I continue to practice, I realize I'm changing in spite of myself, embracing not knowing more often than I used to. I am more aware now that when my mind is ruminating about something dastardly that someone has done, that it's just my head, just my non-stop rattle of thoughts rising and falling. I don't have to listen to them. I don't know why someone is behaving the way they are. Everyone has their own perspective and conditioning. We all hold the best truths we've been able to come up with based on our particular experiences and perspectives. And Dogen's teaching is ultimately about humility. We can never know anything completely in the relative world. We can only, as he says, see and understand what our eye of practice can reach. So, Dogen, mysterious, profound, obscure, a brilliant teacher, and yet humble in realizing that mountains, rivers, and the ocean, and many other natural phenomena are not separate, are very much alive as Buddha nature, and offer teaching of the Dharma moment by moment. I have some sense of this as I am fortunate to sit on my Zabatan at home in front of sliding glass doors 
for the whole garden and its inhabitants, and the wind, rain, and sun accompanying me. Dogen's revolutionary approach to nature is one that sits very comfortably with me. And more than that, his teaching with and through nature is helping me to absorb the Dharma. <laughs>